Merry Christmas. It's great to be here with you all this morning as we gather to worship on on Christmas Day. At this time, any of our four to six-year-olds who would like to go to the kids' lesson, welcome to go uh, to the back lobby uh, for uh, that uh, this morning. Um, And might also say we're very thankful for the folks who of course, they can't even hear us who are serving in the nursery this morning on Christmas morning and uh, doing the kids' lesson as well. We're, we're, we're thankful uh, for our volunteers uh, this morning. Well, this morning, we're going to be uh, looking at some responses uh, to Jesus, and in particular, the responses to Jesus that we see by two individuals uh, in Luke uh, chapter 2. So we're going to start at verse 22 and go ahead and dive in uh, this morning. Let's, let's read our passage. And when the time had come for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the children brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God, saying, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your promise, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, would you bless our time in your word this morning? Might it come alive to us before us this day? Oh, Father, that we might ultimately see the great joy, the great joy that we should find in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, a few weeks ago, Adrian did, as she does every year. She asked me to, um, I need to get together a Christmas list. You need to get me some stuff so I'll know what to get, and our parents will know what to get. And um, so I did what I do every year. I started Googling, right, to see if there was anything that I needed that I didn't know that I needed. And I, in the process, found that there were, in fact, some things that I needed that I didn't know that I needed. And I even received a couple of them this morning, and, and maybe I'll receive more as um, the days unfold as we go to see family. Now, as I say that, you might think, well, I'm a little bit of a Scrooge. Uh, You know, Christmas and getting presents, it's not incredibly exciting uh, for me these days. Uh, But I remember when it used to be. 
Uh, maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you kids um, have even experienced this in the last day or so, right? I, I remember how, you know, Christmas Eve was nice. We would go to Christmas Eve service, and, and then we come home and a Christmas movie and some snacks, but then Christmas Eve night was excruciating. You know, just waking and wait, waking up and, you know, staring at the clock. It's 2, 2 a.m. in the morning. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. You know, is it ever going to get early enough so that I can go get my parents up? Um, and then this morning, of course, I would have just preferred to stay in bed when our kids came in at 7 a.m. Uh, this morning, ready to go, um, ready and, and raring to see what was, was under the tree. Now, why couldn't I sleep, kids? Why could many of you not sleep, maybe? Because um, I was very excited to see what was under that tree, right? I wanted to see, what is I'm going to get? Am I, I going to get that thing? Am I, I going to get that thing that I put on my Christmas list from the JCPenney catalog? I'd even written down the page number and, and everything. Um, was I going to get it this year? And, you know, if I could only get that, then, then I'd be happy. My life as a kid would be complete, right? Um, I was a bit like Ralphie. You remember Ralphie, A Christmas Story? What did he say? Christmas was on its way. Lovely, glorious, beautiful Christmas upon which the entire kid year revolved. He so desperately wanted that Red Rider BB gun, right? And he got it, and what happened? He almost shot his eye out. He crushed his glasses. This, this thing that he had put all of his stock of hope and joy into had actually brought some destruction into his life on Christmas Christmas Day, as I've grown up, maybe I've become a little bit more like Kevin McAllister as he grew up in the course of that Home Alone movie where he ends up going to Santa and saying, will you please tell Santa, instead of presents, I don't even want presents, I don't even care about that this year, I just want my family back. Now, this morning as we dive in, this isn't intended to be a critique of the commercialization of, of Christmas. I'm not here to guilt you for the gifts you've given that you're going to give, that you've received, or that you're going to receive. My hope is um, that as we reflect on the Christmas event, as we reflect on Jesus's coming, we'll find that it's something not to just celebrate today on December 25th, but it's something that we should really find ways of celebrating every day of the year, that, that true joy comes from the coming of our Savior. So we're going we're gonna to look at this story in four parts. First, we're going to see the waiting. Then we're going to see the peace. Then we're going to see the sword. And then finally, we'll see true joy. Okay. So first, the waiting. Now, I, we all love waiting, right? We, we love waiting in lines, grocery stores, red lights, amusement parks, change your oil. We, we wait all the time, right? It's constant. Um, some guesstimates range that we, we maybe spend 40 to maybe even a whole hour a day waiting at times. Um, I guess that depends on where you live and if you're in lots of traffic and whatnot too, but maybe some of you waited just this past few days. I made the mistake the other day of going to Costco to try to get something for my mother-in-law. It was a very bad decision. We ended up ordering it online because I, I did actually get in there and I went there and of course they didn't have it and so then we ordered online anyway. Um, but yeah, just the frustration of waiting, 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 and yet we constantly do it, don't we? Um, in our passage this morning, we see two individuals um, who are waiting, right? And we need to know just a little bit of the setup of the story. Mary and Joseph, they've, they've gone to Jerusalem. Jesus now is 40 days old, and they've gone um, to perform a couple of sacrifices for the purification of Mary after, after childbirth. And so there they are, and, and it's there that we meet our first character that we want to look at this morning, Simeon. And we don't know too much about him. 
He seems to be a relatively simple man, if you will. We don't know anything about how old he is. We don't know anything about his livelihood. But we do know, as we look at verse 25, what do we know about him? He was a righteous and devout man. We know that the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was a devout, devout believer. And maybe the most important thing that we see there is that, that he was waiting, wasn't he? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, that's not the kind of language that we typically use today, but there's this um, language of consolation in the Holy Spirit of, uh, that God was going to send one to console his people. Um, in Isaiah 61, we read that he, he comes to comfort all who mourn, that he, he comes to console them. And so Simeon is waiting on the Messiah, the promised one, who is going to be the consolation of Israel, the one who's going to come and who's going to comfort his people. And Simeon lives in hope of the promise of that one who's going to bring consolation, the promise of the Messiah. But the interesting thing about Simeon, though, we learn in our text too, is we, you look at verse 26, is that Simeon isn't waiting like everyone else is. See, all of Israel should have been waiting like that, right? All of Israel should have been waiting for the consolation of Israel, but we learn something a little bit more about Simeon. He was actually told, he actually knew by the work of the Holy Spirit in him that he was going to actually get to lay eyes on the Lord's Christ, that he himself was going to get to see the Messiah, that his eyes were going to be able to lay on the, uh, on the promised one. So his waiting wasn't a normal waiting like the rest of Israel was waiting. He was waiting, I mean, I mean just imagine, you know, we talked a minute ago about the waiting like on Christmas Eve of, of kids. I mean, imagine his waiting. Like Holy Spirit reveals to you that you're going to get to see the Messiah. And you wake up each and every day wondering, is this the day? You know, and every day, you know, Christmas Day is like another day, day away as he's, he's waiting. And we don't know how long he, he waited, um, but he was waiting, waiting to be able to lay eyes on the Savior, on the Messiah, every day asking, is this, is this the day? How he must have longed for the coming of the Messiah. Now, there's another one waiting in our text too, right? Anna, we see in verses 36 and 37. We don't know much about her either. Um, except that she's on an age. Um, we don't know whether she was, the text is a little ambivalent. Is she 84 years old or is she 104-ish years old? Was 84 years from when her husband died or what? We don't know. Regardless, she's, she's on an age. Um, and she too is waiting. Now, now, something interesting, just as you think about Simeon and Anna, these are both just normal individuals, right? They're not rich and powerful. A simple man, a simple woman, whose lives are devoted to God and longing for his coming. Now, with Anna, we have no reason to believe the Holy Spirit gave her any special revelation that she was going to, to get to, to lay eyes on the Messiah. So in a sense, she's waiting, like all of Israel is waiting. But we see that she is waiting with a longing because, as we'll get to it in a minute, but we, we see in her joy-filled response once she finally gets to see the Savior. Now, we mentioned at the beginning how we all wait, right? We're constantly waiting for things. And I think we also constantly have this idea as we wait for things, we, we, we often think that once I get that, once I've gotten to that moment, and once that thing has happened that I'm waiting for, then what? Things will be complete. I can go on in my life. 
we're constantly waiting, but that waiting, we're often waiting for what? We're often waiting for the things of here and now, the things of this world. We see Simeon and Anna, they're, they're, they're waiting. It's not for the temporal moments of our life, the, the, these, these milestones that we often judge our lives by. But their waiting was on a person. It was waiting on their Savior, the Messiah, the promised one. We're waiting today, too, as we gather on Christmas morning. Now, of course, we know the Messiah has, has already come. He's already been born. He's already lived. He's already died. He's already risen again. He's, he's already ascended into heaven. But as we gather this morning, we, we're waiting, too waiting on something much greater than what's under the tree or what's going to happen next week or next year. We are called, I think, to wait in the knowledge of his coming, of that promise that he will come again. Are you waiting this morning? One of the things that we've done here over the past few weeks, we've, we've gone through kind of an Advent series, if you will, and kind of thought through this preparation for, for Christ. But Advent isn't just about the preparation for Christ's coming, like we're, we're waiting for him to be born again. That's obviously not going to happen. Advent is very much centered around waiting for him to come back. And that's why Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he described Advent season as this. This is how he described Advent. He called it a prison cell in which one waits, hopes, and does various unessential things and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened. The door of freedom, the coming again of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, we're we're waiting on him. We're waiting on him to come and open that door to return again as we are gathered here this morning. Are you waiting? Do you live your life expecting Would you rejoice if he came this afternoon? Or do you want to enjoy your toys a little bit more? So we we see the waiting here. We also see the peace as we see Simeon's reaction when he finally gets to lay his eyes on the Savior. What what is the description? How does he he, he describe? How is it described? But it brought him what? Peace. And why did it bring him peace? brought rest to his soul. Now, it isn't though as though he doubted the promises. I, I don't think that's what it has. But, but right there, right there before his eyes was assurance of the promises that had been made to him. The proof was right there. And he even goes on to say, basically, that, that he can go on to die. Verse 30, what, what does he say? He says, my eyes have seen salvation. His eyes were able to see the promised Messiah, the one that was able to bring peace between God and man. The one that in verse 31 and 32, to be for all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. What enters into Simeon's life at this moment is an incredible peace. And we actually see this regularly. We, we saw this even in the story we read, if you were here last night, right? The, the Luke 2 story. What do the, what do the angels say? Glory to God on the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The Messiah comes to bring peace between God and man. And that's ultimately the peace 
that is brought to Simeon. You, you see, you could be distracted. You could think that the peace is brought just because God's promise to him has been fulfilled. God's promise to him has been fulfilled. Yes, he was able to lay eyes on the Messiah. But what brought him peace was something much greater. What was knowing that 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 one who was there in front of him, the one that he was able to even hold, was going to bring peace. And as we know, in fact, has brought peace through his incredible work of his life and death and resurrection. Was able to bring peace between God and man. As we reflect on this great peace, we reflect on this. Great peace should be brought to you and I. Knowing, knowing that Jesus has come and he has brought peace between God and man. Do you know that this morning? That that peace has really been achieved. But of course, our problem is, is we don't always feel it, do we? Yes, we can reflect on our Messiah. And we feel and we, we, we sense that, that peace, that true peace. And hopefully that peace grows as we mature in Christ, right? But that peace can be fleeting at times, can it? Because we continue to live in a sinful world, in a troubled world. And that's why we must continue to to longingly look forward to, to the coming, his coming again. As Simeon was waiting, we too must learn to wait. We we need to wait for that event of Christ's coming that will bring peace like we could could never imagine. An everlasting, an eternal peace. We get fleeting moments of it here and now. But he comes to bring a peace eternal. And this isn't just some like... I think sometimes we confuse it with like psychological peace, right? Or physical peace. Uh, This is an ultimate peace. An ultimate peace, in fact, that even though we don't feel it now, the scripture tells us is true right now if you are a believer. If you are in Christ this morning, Jesus' blood the blood of the the, the baby whose whose birth we celebrate this morning has brought peace between you and the great God of the universe. Herbert Hoover, I don't know if you know who he is, one of the presidents, he he had the privilege of leading the country into the Great Depression. Um, A reporter once asked him, how do you handle all the criticism? I mean, can you imagine the criticism if, you know, it's the, the Great Depression, you know, takes full force, and do you ever get agitated and tense? And he answered, he said, no. He says, but how could you? When, when, when I was a kid, you were like the most popular man in the world, and now you've become like the most despised man ever. This is what he said. He said, no. I knew when I went into politics what I might expect. So when it came, I wasn't disappointed or, or upset. He said, besides, I have a peace at the center. Now, I don't know exactly what Hoover meant by that, that's what, if you're in Christ, that's what we should have. Is amidst all of this sin and all of this, this stuff in this world, we should have a peace that's at the center. And why? Because you, if you're in Christ, are right with the God of the universe. 
and in perfect relationship with him through the work of his beloved son. So we have waiting. We have this peace, and then we have a sword. Do you notice uh, Mary and Joseph's reaction, verse 33? What did they do? They heard Simeon sing the song to them. What did they do? They marveled at what was said about him. Now, this might be slightly speculative, but put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoes for a moment. You've just heard this wonderful song, if you will, from Simeon about your son. And then he says this, verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What? I mean, can can you imagine being Mary? And and suddenly you're hearing this. One moment you're marveling at what Simeon says, and now he's telling you words that you don't want to hear, that, that, that your soul is going to be pierced because of your son. So let's think about this real quick. Verse 34, we're told that he is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. You see, many will listen to, to your baby, Mary, but many are going to be opposed to your child. Just as Isaiah had prophesied, he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Not only that, verse, back to verse 34, he's going to be a sign that is opposed. Many, that's how many are going to respond to Jesus. They, they, they will resist him. They'll be opposed to him. You know, it should be great news. The Messiah is here, but what are we told? That, that many are going to actually be against him. They're going to resist him. And as a result, what are, what, what are those words? Said, I think, directly to Mary in verse 35. Just told a, source, a sword will pierce through your own soul. How heartbreaking for a mother of a 40-day-old to hear. Can you imagine? Not, not you know, like he's going to grow up and he's going to break your heart at times, you know, as we kind of jokingly say about all of our kids, right? No. She's told a sword will pierce through your soul. The pain, Mary, that you're going to experience is going to be excruciating. She doesn't know what that means. She doesn't know that she's going to be standing there at the foot of the cross watching her son die for you and for me. And all of this, so the thought from many hearts may be revealed. How people respond to this baby will show their real hearts. Jesus will, and he does, expose you and I for who we really are. He will expose our hearts. Now, these, these seem like harsh words. We don't like the words of a sword on Christmas Day. But I think they're so important for us to understand who this baby really is, and that's why they needed to be said, reminding us that things do not, and we know this, things do not go smoothly for this child, do they? But they will go precisely as planned. He, though he will bring, bring salvation, Many will reject him. Many will be opposed to him. 
Why? Because embracing this child, embracing the Messiah, means that there's something wrong with you. Embracing the Messiah means that your life is broken. It means that sin is alive in you. You've offended the great God of the universe. And that peace needs to be brought between you and him. How do you respond to these words this day? I don't know where all of you are this morning. But how we respond will show everything. It reveals our hearts. It reveals our eternity. This Messiah, understand, is the only means of bringing peace between God and man. There is no other way. It is through him and him alone that we are saved. In our world, it doesn't like this message. Maybe some in here this morning aren't very comfortable with that message. Our world rejects it just as Jesus was rejected. But you and I, we're called to shout it from the rooftops. That's where we get to our last point of true joy. I think which is the trajectory of both Simeon and Anna's response. There's that movie, maybe many of you watched it over the last couple of days, the Grinch stole, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Remember that wonderful picture at the end? The Grinch has stolen everything, right? And he stands on the top of the mountain to look down to re- rejoice over their sorrow. But they come out and what do they do? They begin singing. The who's begin to rejoice. And he says, how could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. Don't know precisely what Dr. Seuss meant by those words, but I do know he's on to something. The peace that Jesus brings, that the Messiah brings, should lead you and I to exceeding and great joy. Look at how Simeon and Anna respond. Verse 28, Simeon, he, he, he takes Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God. Basically says, thank you. I mean, you can almost see the the, the tears just welling up in Simeon's eyes as, as his eyes finally are able to see the promised Messiah. And then what does he do? He 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 does the only thing that he can can do. He begins to sing, if you will. Sing of the great joy of the one who he's holding. Maybe that great theologian, Buddy the Elf was on to something when he said that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all the world to hear. And that's precisely what Simeon does, doesn't he? Now, I grew up, some of you may know this, I grew up in in the Episcopal Church in the Anglican tradition, and and so whenever I um, went to summer camp, we would do some of those services and stuff, and at the end of each day, we would do a service called Compline. Um, Compline is a very short service to end the day. And part of that service, almost at the very end of it, are these words of Simeon. So much so that they've worked their way into me, and I can't get them out of my head. Lord, you now have set your servant free 
to go in peace as you have promised. For these eyes of mine have seen the Savior, whom you have prepared for all the world to see, a light to enlighten the nations and the glory of your people Israel. I don't know how many times I've used those words in my prayer at the end of a night. What an incredible song. Our Savior has come. He has really accomplished what he promised. Simeon's eyes saw the Savior, and what did he do? He, he rejoiced. What did Anna do? We don't know anything of her interaction with Jesus, but in verse 38, what do we see? She began to give thanks to God and to speak to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The picture here is of Anna running around, running around, maybe even at her, her, her on an age a bit, but going to, to tell everyone that she could with, with great joy, grabbing them by the shoulders and saying, the Messiah, he's here. She couldn't be slowed down. But she had such great joy because her Messiah, Messiah had come. You see, for Simeon and, and for Anna, after all their waiting, all of that expecting the Messiah to come, he's, he's finally there. They laid their eyes on him. And the wonder of this is their, this moment for them was enough. They, they didn't need all the details of how this baby was going to save them. They didn't need to know all the details of how he was going to redeem them. They had enough confidence in their great God that somehow that this, this 40-day-old baby was going to bring redemption. And so they rejoice. And they rejoice not with the kind of joy that we spoke about at the, at the beginning, the kind of joy that we find under the, under the tree, not the kind of joy, the, the counterfeit joy that this world offers us and tries to entice us with and tries to tell us over and over that this thing, this next moment, this whatever will bring you true joy, not that counterfeit joy, but they rejoiced with true joy. The only kind of joy that can really fill us up, really can make us whole. And it's not just a joy for a particular day. It's not just for this day or a particular season, but a joy that should pervade all of our life, a joy because you and I, we can have confidence. We can read about this afterwards, that we know that the Messiah has come, that we know that he has lived and that he has died and that he has risen again. And we know that he will come again and make our redemption complete. So what's our response today? What's your response? Go home. Enjoy what's around the tree. Can I say that? Go home. Enjoy good food. Go home and enjoy your time with your family. Kids, enjoy the, the toys of Christmas Day. It's okay. All right? But please. Let's not any of us make the mistake of thinking that those things are where true joy is found. 
the kind of joy that, that Anna had, the kind of joy that Simeon sung about. Simeon's song should be our song too. We too can depart in peace today, leaving here, because we too know the joy of our salvation, the joy that comes in our Savior Jesus Christ. Our Messiah has come. Our Messiah has lived that perfect and incredible life that we have so failed to live. Our Messiah has died the death that we deserved. Our Messiah has triumphed over sin and death. Our Messiah has ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all things. He is reigning right now. And please, people of God, please don't miss this. Our Messiah is coming back. And oh, the great joy that should bring to us. Oh, the great joy that that should bring to the heart of his people. Does it bring you great joy this Christmas morning? Let's pray. Father, would you teach our hearts to to sing Simeon's song? to truly know the peace and the joy that comes through our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one whose birth we celebrate this day. As we go into the rest of this, this day and whatever holds for us, how we know we're going to be tempted to find joy and peace in all the wrong places. Oh, would you teach our hearts to find it in our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you help us today to sing Simeon's song, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.